Have you ever wondered why healthcare, a sector pivotal to our survival, often hesitates to embrace innovation that promises both physical and operational salvation? Dive into this episode where we unpack the daunting paradox of healthcare management, navigating through the perplexed world of cost comprehension, technological advancements, and organizational conundrum, while weaving through a powerful narrative of personal recovery and the birth of a digital community aimed at fostering real-world connections. Healthcare entrepreneurs, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your business so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while creating a positive social impact? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Provider's Edge. I'm your host, Sabrina Rumpak. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. Let's open the gateway to profitability for you today. My guests and I help healthcare entrepreneurs and startup founders like you break through barriers so you can control your business, control your life, and control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Sabrina Rumpak. And today we have yet another very exciting innovator here with us. As we all know, this is the space to celebrate the positive changes we are bringing to the healthcare space. And now we have Matt, the executive vice president at MyEvolve, a top provider of data-driven solutions that help healthcare businesses optimize their revenue cycle and medical billing team to lower money collection costs, increase efficiency, and enhance revenue. And MedEvolve collaborates with tens and tens of thousands of physicians and 50 plus provider organization nationwide. And back in 2022, they submitted 3.8 billion with a big B uh, worth of claims with their assistance. And Matt has just a diverse interest of things he's doing uh, as well. So we'll get into all that. And definitely is someone who has more than 24 years of experience in management and consulting uh, in the healthcare sector. And is very skilled at evaluating, designing, and executing the process improvement programs and development of new technology that can really apply across the entire revenue cycle. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. Serena, wow, that was a good introduction. I, I'm grateful to be on the show and hopefully add some value to your listeners. Yeah, I uh, definitely, we love to hear the inspirational stories and then take away some uh, ideas. Uh, what are we doing? That's great. And then perhaps take away some of the nuances uh, that our speakers are bringing, especially uh, like yourself. So we always love to start by no matter what, we all kind of have our own story of why we got into the this crazy busy medicine space. So what was that initial passion? Or what was the spark that brought you into this field? That's so funny. Uh, I've, I've had to answer that question a couple of times in the last week. And one was uh, an interview one of our babysitters was doing for uh, a, uh, a college course. You know, how did you get into health, your career? I literally fell into my career. I was a graduating senior walking on a 
the library walk at my university thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like the sports are over, classes are over. What do I want to be when I grow up? I didn't know. And I came across a booth, which was a boutique healthcare revenue cycle consulting firm. A bunch of former Anderson guys started it in the eighties. Dale Stockcamp was the founder. And it's interesting. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but when I was talking with my dad, he said, Hey, look, getting into consulting is not a bad thing. You know, you're going to get a couple of years. You're going to travel. You're going to learn about process improvement, how to communicate leadership skills, all that. And so I had to choose between Anderson consulting, uh, or Arthur Anderson consulting and stock camp. Well, we all know what happened with Arthur Anderson. <laughs> so I'm glad I went with the small boutique firm, which is interesting because it's really, I've carried the, lessons Dale taught me back uh, when I first started my career, all the way through my career. And it was really around how you prioritize work for the revenue cycle, FTEs, right? The administrative staff, and then how you measure their ability to get that work done, right? And, and back then it was access databases. It wasn't in the cloud, all those. And so I've actually designed four of these systems uh, over the last 20 years, uh, I designed one for Price Waterhouse Coopers when I was in their consulting division. Uh, I started my own company, which was uh, Interpoint Partners. Uh, we eventually sold that to a public company down in Georgia. And then I came on board to Metavolve. And here we are again. I was looking at the gaps in the Metavolve practice management system, which is the same gaps in every PMEMR system, which is not good at measuring the revenue cycle people, which is, you know, you're a clinician, Sabrina. I would like to make sure you get paid for all the work that you do. And by the way, your people cost 15% more now, thank you, inflation, and your supplies cost 15% more, thank you, inflation, or more. And by the way, your reimbursement is less. So, so, so when you think about it, like all we really control in Revenue Cycle now is can we measure our own people? And then also, can we motivate them? Look at the, the, the look at our world now. Everyone, you know, quiet quitting, acting your wage. Somebody said that to me the other day. Like, well, if you pay me nineteen dollars an hour, I'm only going to give you nineteen dollars an hour worth of work. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so we've lost this kind of passion for self actualization. Like, could I, you know, am I proud of the work I do? Do I tell my friends and family about what I do? Am I being recognized by my employer? Am I being rewarded beyond what you pay me per hour? You know, uh, high turnover rates, all these things, you know, these healthcare providers, and I don't care which sector you're in, you could be an academic medical center or a single practitioner in a small rural community. It's the same problem. It's literally the same problem. Yeah, you definitely got hit on the nail with that, because we all know uh, a bunch of times when I talk about uh, productivity and performance, they still go back to people first, right? Like we can't just say, this is all the stuff we need to do. Hire the people who has the skill, then magically just get it done. But if there's a not really alignment about that person's skill set, their own passion and their own drive, then you can throw money at that. They still not going to do the work. And so it's definitely, as you were saying, it's about measuring what we can control is the type of people that we have in the organization, how small or large it is. We're just going to feel the pain differently, right? The, the large organization, perhaps one person went on vacation and quit. You have a bunch of people can cover t- temporarily until you get that replacement versus the smaller entity. You can't really afford that. It, that entire person's work now, if it has to be distributed with your smaller team, they may feel a lot more weight. And with this projection of significant clinician loss 
and nursing laws, we just can't even fill them as quickly mm. as they are building these uh, schools, right? These all these new grads can't even fill the back end. So yeah. it's uh, love that you brought that up. Is that how do we just kind of for you? It's like fall into the lab, like oh, let me just go for a consultant for a few years. And many people that I know uh, from family and friends has gone to that. Uh, round as well. And then some of them didn't even start as medicine or they pivoted from being clinical role into the consultant role or yeah. gone from those uh, typical engineers, right? They loved higher engineers for consultants uh, with uh, how logical process thinking, right? Being able to build out the step by step. So yeah. I love that's your history for that. And um, how did you pivot into the work that you're doing now, I know you've been with the company, my evolve since 2017, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a pretty big team, right? Uh, you guys are having like 180 employees already. So yep. h- how how did that all come about to say, hey, I really love this mission. I love what they're doing. You really, truly want to stand behind it and then join the team. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, really, I, I actually came on as a consultant for them in 2016 uh, to just look at the revenue cycle and and understand because, you know, half their business, uh, half our business is still services. You know, a lot of doctors, they just don't want to do the billing, the coding, the error management and payment posting. Right. And so uh, they, they and obviously it's more expensive now. People are more expensive and, and they're hard to recruit from. Right. You've already and everyone wants to work from home. So there's lots of reasons why people still want to outsource rev cycle. But what I, I noticed back then was, was, uh, you know, there were already limitations and in, in the practice management system. So I had made some recommendations, you know, and said, you know, here's, here's some workarounds. It's not going to be the end all be all, but here's some workarounds. So I came on board full time in 17 to, to run their sales at first. And that's, uh, we were joking before we started the podcast. That's when I realized I didn't really have anything to sell that wasn't already a commodity. Right. You know, you think about, you know, the EMR craze. We didn't have an EMR. Uh, everyone's in the cloud. We weren't in the cloud. And then everyone has an RCM company. And frankly, we're competing with offshore, which is charging fraction of, of, of the rates. So that's uh, what happened was when our revenue cycle margin started to deteriorate rapidly is when the board asked me to come in and look again at RevCycle. And the first thing I realized was there was no workforce automation tech. There was no, there was no real time analytics. Like, where are my problems? Right. Not just the people problems, but the RCM processes. Right. Is it denials on the front end? Is it bad AR management? Is it bad debt, patient liability? Right. All those things. And so I built for the, again, the fourth time, I built a workflow automation system, uh, very similar to what I had at Interpoint. And then I, I, did other things, you know, uh, that I actually, ironically, I'd wanted to do at Interpoint, but then we sold the company. And, you know, once you sell your business, then somebody else takes your dream and does what they want with it. So it's been a blast. Our margin came back fast. We, uh, we were able to reduce our, our, our head count by about 42% in the first six months after deploying this. And we continue to get leaner and leaner and leaner. And the, and now what we're doing. Sabrina is we're we're gamifying the revenue cycle experience. And so our into each individual person, whether you're a payment poster or a charge entry coder or an insurance AR representative, it doesn't matter, is that you compete against yourself. You're measured objectively through our software and you compete against yourself. Why is it important to say compete against yourself? Because I believe that that humans have more in the tank than they're giving, not just professionally, but in their personal lives too. You know, I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to learn a foreign language. You know, my, my youngest son is like a big baseball player. He's like, dad, I want to start hitting home runs. I said, well, you're eight and you hit pretty well, you know, 
you're going to need, you know, how much time are you spending outside of practice working on your swing, right? Oh, I spent about 30 minutes in the garage. What if you did 45 minutes? But try it, right? So what I'm getting back to is that we've seen this switch in our employees where they're realizing that they're going to be recognized and rewarded for doing a great job, right? And I'm not talking so much about productivity as I am about effectiveness of the work they do, right? Can I resolve this problem right now? Or am I going to just kind of touch it and then I'll see it again in two weeks, right? There's a different mentality. And we actually, we reward them. I mean, they act, they're making their base rate of hourly rate and then they get a points and they can spend their points any way they want, including vacation days, merch, iPhone upgrades. They can take it in cash, right? So there's lots of ways in which we can incentivize folks to do it. And that's really been the big move that we've made. And, and now all these macroeconomic conditions that we've talked about that are crushing profit margins, right? The higher cost of delivering care, the less reimbursement we're getting from everybody, especially Medicare, our margins are still under pressure. So what we're doing as a company on the R&D side is trying to figure out what's the next big thing to free up labor, right? Because labor is labor. Uh, you're not going to get the insurance companies to pay you more. Medicare is not going to feel bad for you and say, you know what, forget about this 7% reduction. I'm going to give you guys 10% more. Labor cost is still going to stay high, right? Nobody's going to go in two years from now, inflation comes down and they're like, well, Sabrina, thanks for the 19 bucks an hour, but you can just pay me 17 again. And then supply chain companies, pretty sure they're not going to start. So, so it's like, do it's doom and gloom. I had a, a, a provider tell me the other day, he's like, wow, you're really telling a catastrophic story. I said, because this is a catastrophe. Like, I, do you understand that if you have no margin, you have no mission? Right. You you can't go support a community. How many hospitals are going out of business in the smaller communities? How many doctors are now having to sell out to private equity firms or to uh, to the hospital because they just can't make ends meet and, and lose their independence? Matt and I just delved into the realm of healthcare revenue cycle management and workforce optimization in the industry. Matt shared his serendipitous journey into the healthcare consultancy space emphasizing the immense value in prioritizing and measuring work for revenue cycle administrative staff, tackling challenges like workforce automation, real-time analytics, and labor costs. Matt introduces us to the concept of gamifying the revenue cycle experience, a revolutionary approach toward enhancing effectiveness and incentivizing employees beyond merely productivity, ultimately fostering a more committed and content workforce. I then accentuated the critical point of aligning skill sets and passions within teams, underscoring the broader impacts in both small and larger scale healthcare entities. Quick announcement before moving forward. If you are a healthcare entrepreneur or startup founder looking to accelerate your social mission and increase profitability, don't hesitate to reach out to me to see if Postpoint Path is the right business advancement for you. You can find me on LinkedIn. Let's connect and discuss how we can take your healthcare business to the next level. All right, let's get back to the rest of our show. How many are retiring early? You talk about all the folks in school, how many doctors or soon to be doctors, you know, or people are going to say, wait, I don't know if I want to be a doctor anymore. There's no economic reason to be. So unless it's the Hippocratic Oath, which it should be, 
and I want to take care of people, right? It, it's not like it used to be. So what do yeah. we do? We've got to find ways to empower the workforce, right? We've got to get them to really love the work they do and be proud of the work they do. And therefore, we have to recognize and reward them if we're going to retain them because the cost of turnover is tremendous. And that high turnover right now, and you know this, you're in this industry, it's everywhere. I can go down the street and make two bucks more an hour, done, right? Same job, whatever, you know? And 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 we don't have employees. We, you know, we, we don't have people that are looking at careers anymore, right? They're just looking at employment. And, and I need to get us back to careers. Like I want to build a career at Metavolve where I'm so proud of what I do. I'm going to brag to my friends and recruit them to come over and I'll never leave, right? Employees for life. Right. And you brought up some uh, many different crucial points. One thing is about we are short staffed no matter where you go. And then there's always the turnover retention issue that we all talk about. And what you guys have already been able to build is we know by research appreciation is number one factor driving by performance productivity. And the gamification thing was amazing because we know behavior changes only based on some kind of accountability. And you're pretty much putting individual worker to hold themselves accountable because all of us have that inner competition mode. Hmm, how much can I do more? Right. And then when I get to the point, then you actually adapted the five language appreciation. You have different ways to show the appreciation by those individual workers to say, I have these amount of points. If I my value is time, I'm going to take my PTO. If my value is gift, then I can convert that into uh, some sort of uh, monetary uh, incentive. And, and no longer are just this cookie cutter set. People have the flexibility and freedom to choose how they want it to be rewarded. And of course, then it it's not complicated as some company will have end year review. If you get certain things, then you get whatever bonus, right? You actually give people the whole freedom and control, which is amazing. And um, just like your uh, bring up, it definitely is tough, right? To have everyone who wanted to stay with you for the long term instead of um, people who will throw their CV everywhere. They don't even show up for interview, even though they have a appointment. So then for some of us who are grew up with that respect to say, if you made a commitment, you show up. Even you don't feel like you're taking that job, at least tell the person about it, right? And not just ghosting. And so unprofessional somehow you're just like how could you think that's okay and we can dive into that could be a generational issue right and then the same thing was the individual environment issue but um despite of that uh, it's exciting for you guys to have uh what you're talking about having the right way to show kpis like if we don't track how do we know what it's working? Just like a, one of the clients I was just talking to the other day, and they have all these marketing strategies put in force to build visibility. And then I'm like, okay, great. But if I don't know how well you guys are doing, we can create additional strategy for those high-level connections because I don't even know if what you're doing is working or not. Uh, so we have to get into that mindset of, Busyness is not the same as productivity. And That's even right. productivity is not the same as efficiency. And efficiency is not the same as 
proficiency, right? And then how how busy you are is not the same as oh, productive. Just means you can get things done. Well, okay, you can get things done, but is that the right things done with a short amount of time to give you that efficiency factor? Or once you get the right things done, okay, does that give you the outcome that you so desire? Or sometimes people even lose what the outcome they wanted, right? It's a, it's mind blowing for some people just do the things and then don't even question why they're doing it, how to improve. Um, so love the idea that you have yeah. able to do that. So for your company, I know you guys are partnering up with organizations and individual practices. So do you go in to do assessment and that uh, plugged in your system? How does that usually work? Absolutely, a, a great uh, question, and and we do. I've learned over the years that just by you know giving someone technology does not guarantee results. And I had a CFO years ago when I was working in the uh, uh, hospital space say, I'm not buying your software. I'm buying results, right? Well, sir, the software is how we get it. I need the result. You're promising me that you're going to improve my profit and loss statement by 3% net revenue, and you're going to reduce my account receivable and, and give me some short-term cash that hits the balance sheet, and you're going to reduce 20% of my headcount. That's the result that I want. How you get there is on you, right? And so when you think about technology companies, a lot of times, you know, the salesperson's out there, look at the ROI, talk to some case studies, you know, talk to some references. Um, a lot of times this technology, I call it really the kind of the bolt-on tech, it's not really looked at from the entire process and the way people use it. And, and the reason we bring in consultants, our own, to, to actually help install is because they need to understand current state. You just hit it, Sabrina. Assessment. Assess where we're at. How are you following up on air today? How are you coding claims? How do you do pre-registration, You know, getting authorizations, collecting co-insurances, et cetera? Then we start to look at our technology, our software, and say, okay, where does that now fit in? And what changes does the organization need to make now to people and process to align with our technology to get the results that we promised during sales? So we we and we cover that cost. That's just a part of our service because we know that the for me to be able to speak at these healthcare conferences with a referenceable client with great results is a lot more valuable than getting my 200 bucks an hour, you know, or, or whatever it is on, on the professional services side. I wish more tech companies did that. I wish more tech companies actually understood all of the intricacies of RevCycle and where they need to make adjustments as necessary. I will tell you in the sales process, we won't work with organizations that are not willing to make change. And I know that sounds crazy from a salesperson, but we won't do it because it'll be a battle. We'll never get results. And then we have a dissatisfied customer. So, so if, if somebody's telling me that their business objectives are to reduce the cost to collect, improve their AR, right? Improve collections, et cetera, et cetera, support a work from anywhere culture, be able to measure people from wherever they work, then I will always go back to those business objectives, right? I'll always go back and say, okay, the way we get there for you. <laughs> is I may will likely make changes to your people and your processes to align with our tech. Are you okay with that? Well, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm okay with that. So it's it's really important there, you know, to have that partnership up front and to solidify it in the, in the sales process. You know, salespeople want to just get deals done. And, and we used to be like that. And now we, we vet our clients. Like we vet them. I've had six months after go live, they're like, man, now I see why you were so stringent on, on these requirements. 
Uh, even our services deal, Sabrina, we won't do an RCM deal. I don't care how large it is unless they follow our best practice methodology and use our technology in the way we've designed it. Like, we just won't do it. They're like, you're not going to use financial clearance. Okay. You're out, you know, because again, I, I'm not going to have referenceability. It's going to be crazy amount of work, rework, frustration, angry calls, you know, and, and, and it, it, it's different, you know, and we're, and we're looking at different measures now too, right? Uh, everyone asked me like effective intelligence, you, you know, sweet, like, what is that? What's effective intelligence mean? And you've already touched on it is, you know, data is data, data structured into a view can be meaningful if it's real time, but just because you have real time access to information doesn't mean these folks act on it. And by not acting on it is where you lose the, the effectiveness. So again, we bring intelligence to the fingertips of our clients, but you have to act on that intel, right? If you expect a result. And, and I'm always amazed by that, you know, is it still in revenue cycle? We get into these battles where somebody just doesn't want to make changes. And it's like the, the, the data is right there. I mean, you're literally losing $50,000 a month on because you're overstaffed, but you don't want to act on that. It, it, crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, you just pointed out so uh, effectively in a sense of information is not power until we do something with it. So we often get into the mode of being a great learner and just dump, dump, dump more things into our play and feel like, oh, eventually somehow this information going to give us something. But just because you're collecting data, if you're not analyzing the data in the way that's supporting you and then actually understand what the result tells you to do modification, then what's the point of spending all this time even collect the data? And right. also, what's the point of having this extra staff member if you don't understand their own innate genius to help in subset of what you need them to do? And it's okay to move people into different roles. They might be even happier about it. And not just we always been doing that, right? That's probably the most frequent default answer is like, well, we've been doing that for years, right? We've been doing that for and the right way for all of us to think about is what you mentioned. We have to vet our clients, our patients, and people who we work with. Because just because you need a body, just because they are willing to work with you, it doesn't mean it will guarantee the result. So if just like you guys, right? All of us who truly believe the change we can bring, then we needed to make sure the connection is very much the right people to get started with. I think many people go in the wrong way, right? They start right after just like, let me speak to everyone, uh, anything that was trying to stick instead of the right connection that will bring you such a strong group where that means your impact is so much higher and you become more profitable that way. Um, I know definitely growing a business, right? It, it doesn't matter where you go in, there's going to be challenges and then there's going to be wins. So what are some things that you wish people can say, hey, you know, these are the lessons I truly learned. I hope no one else will go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. 
I don't normally say this, but I'll say it as I wrote a quote up on my whiteboard in 2008, uh, right? I'd started my company. I left Deloitte Intuition 06 at the end of the year and I started Interpoint. Uh, I was a 29 year old aspirational consultant who was tired of doing pivot tables and, you know, I wanted, wanted to bring workflow automation and, and all those things to the market. And I remember, you know, then the recession hit. We all remember that. And everything fried up. I didn't have capital. I had no investors, right? So I was having to get scrappy with how to like just keep the business going. And I remember writing on the board, how do you sell a sophisticated concept uh, or technology to an unsophisticated industry and an unsophisticated buyer? Now, I don't mean when I say unsophisticated, I'm not being demeaning. I don't mean dumb. Right? These are smart folks that run health systems, right? And 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 doctors obviously are very smart, you know, they went to med school, but it still amazes me at how you can show a return on investment and a simple pathway to get it. And yet people still somehow get fall back into costs like price, you know, price, what's a cost? How do you, you know, how do you compare? Matt and I just explored the intricacy of workforce empowerment and retention, especially in the medical industry. Matt emphasized the critical need for recognizing and rewarding staff to nurture a culture of career building rather than mere employment, citing the impact of gamification and flexibility in reward systems. I then highlight the indisposable role of actionable data cautioning that information isn't power until something is done with it. We underscore the principle that business efficiency isn't synonymous with productivity and probed into leveraging technology, ensuring it delivers promised results by adapting to organizational processes and people. Our dialogue further delved into the importance of client and staff vetting, safeguarding aligned objectives, and ensuring result impact. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast today on your favorite podcast platform to get the latest insight. Together, let's rewrite the rules for your business and create a positive social impact in the healthcare industry. All right, let's continue on our episode. Even today, right? I mean, I've had organizations who have a million dollar return on investment just in cutting labor costs, and they think it's too expensive. Like what's too expensive, Sabrina, is for that organization to continue to waste a million dollars a year on labor. That's too expensive. Not me, right? I mean, I could charge you $500,000 and you're still in the money by $500,000, or you just keep your software the way it is, and you still are wasting a million dollars a year in software. I mean, do you see what I mean? It's it's like insanity to me that we're so, people ask me, they go, why have you never gone to the provider side? I said, I can't go there. I can't go to the dark side. I went from a consultant to a vendor, and I'm scared that if I were to go to work for a physician group, that I would like lose my soul. Uh, you know, I mean, I just, or, or God forbid a hospital. I have so many consultant friends that, you know, they wanted to stop traveling. So they go and they work for the health system in their area. And they're just like, first six months, super aspirational. They want to do all these things because their consultant mind is taken over. And then six months and one day later, they're calling me going, that's all bureaucracy. We sit in meetings all day long. We meet to meet. We don't get anything done. So while that was probably okay for 
might be the first 15 years of my career, right? Because people are still making money. Things have changed, Sabrina. The last 12 months, I've seen a level of trepidation I've never seen. I've had physicians literally after meetings come up, almost tearing up saying, is this solvable? I'm afraid I'm never going to be able to keep this thing going, right? So it has changed, right, dramatically because of the increase in cost to deliver the same services they were doing five years ago and the decrease in reimbursement for the same services from five years ago or 10 years ago, the higher deductible plans, consumer choice, right? Hey, I got a high deductible plan. My shoulder hurts. I need a surgery, but I'm going to push it off till June because I may lose my job, right? Think about all that. And it's what is it doing? It's impacting the profit margin. So the biggest lesson learned, honestly, for, for anyone who's trying to get started with an idea that they think is good is you have to become obsessed with that idea. You have to be relentless in your pursuit, knowing that you may not be the smartest person in the room. You may be the dumbest person in the room, right? I mean, I, I joked with that at a, at a show I was speaking at you know, a few months ago. Or I said, it makes sense up here. I get it. Like, I get all this. I've been doing this for 23 years. I said, but it doesn't make sense to all of you. Nowadays, it's making sense to a lot more people, though is that if we don't put technology in that measures the human work effort, we have no way to recognize and reward the winners. And therefore, we're always going to be spending more money on people and we're going to get poorer results on our reimbursement. It's a fact. It's a simple fact, you know. And so right. be relentless in your pursuits, you know. Uh, be creative. Be clever, you know. Uh, stay with problems longer. I'm amazed at how people, and you already brought this up earlier, you know, someone's like, well, I'll get to it later. Or yeah, I think that's an inefficiency. I could bring it up to my boss, but oh, she won't listen to me. So I'm just not going to do it. Right. We got to change all that. Like you see a problem, stick with it, figure it out, right. Bring some solutions to the table. And if that organization doesn't have alignment between the clinicians and the administrative folks that are managing all that revenue cycle, that's a big problem too. Right? And you see this, I'm sure, in your consulting. you got to have alignment now, right? Doctor says this is what they want. Administration has to say this is how we get it. And, and guess what? Everybody has to, be, has to give something to do it. It can't be, it can't be one-sided. So, so alignment uh, is, is very, very important with the people, process, and technology you acquire. And it's very important with the clinicians and the ops teams to make sure it doesn't matter if you're a hospital or you're a 10 doc orthopedic group, right? You've got to have that alignment. Exactly. I was just talking about that at one of the executive leadership conference I went last week at DC. Um, the key point I brought up is three, right? We have to up-level ourselves as the head leader to create the change. And then we need to up-level our team. That means uh, who is it? How do we uh, internally motivate? How are they creating the right relationship with everybody else? You have to have the trust factor with their own immediate manager to even be able to open up this conversation. So how are we as a leader to be able to open the door and willing to give our thought and time for their ideas, right? Because you're not going to be in the trenches every day. Other people can spot out the gaps a lot more better. So allow them to have that freedom. And then the last thing is you have to up-level the patient at the same time, uh, leveraging technology, both on the staffing side and the patient side, it, because technology is moving so fast. And if mm -hmm. we're not able to keep up, then yes, we're going to fall behind. And the environment in itself Matt, you mentioned it in the beginning, 
right? Like we have these high costs, more inflation and less reimbursement. So how do we offset that and not feeling like, well, that this is what I'm comfortable in and therefore I'm going to stay with my comfort. But if you stay in the bubble of comfort, you never go outside that growth zone. So then you're mm. going to be restricting yourself and your company, your organization for the environment we set out. So I know as we wrap up, there's a lot of things that you do even outside of just uh, my evolve. So share us a little bit more about your work with addiction uh, and uh, what's uh, what's the next thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, on the side, you know, a passion project I started uh, more than five years ago. I've, I've been in recovery now uh, for more than five years. And you know, as a, the entrepreneurial brain, right? It's the old 29 year old saying, I don't like doing it this way. Can I go create something to make it easier and more efficient? Uh, it was the same thing when I came out of treatment and I realized there was no way to connect with people in my community who I could relate to beyond, you know, alcohol, right? I mean, I could go to meetings and I could meet other people with alcohol problems, but I may not relate to any of them, right? They may be folks who have different careers, different passions, different traumas from their past life, different medical conditions. And so I started thinking to myself, like, I can go onto a cars.com and I can type in all these attributes of a car. And then you're going to give me like the ideal match. I'm like, where, where's the, <laughs> like, where do I go find other, other business executives who like to surf, who, you know, who have, who have children, who are coaches, right. But had an alcohol problem, right. I mean, where, where are those people? They're in your zip code, right. But how do we find them? And so that's how I created this, this platform, this this uh, company called My Lifelink, and it's a free it's a free app. It's on Apple uh, and Google Play. Download it. It's a great community. It's it's global. So I've got folks now, thousands of people all over the world that are using it. And really, the premise is to track the things that we do every day to stay healthy and in recovery. More importantly, track the things we do every day to be selfless. Right? How am I? Like for example, I'm going to log as soon as I get off here that I made a new friend, Sabrina right? I'm going to log that I just shared my story, right? And what that does is it recommits to me what I'm doing. It also shows the community what I'm doing to stay in recovery. And so, you know, and then tracking emotions, right? I think we as humans forget that that, that behavioral addiction and physical addiction is, is driven by emotional addiction, right? So like I grew up anxious. I can create anxiety for you, Sabrina, right this minute. I can go think about something that hasn't happened and get anxious. I can do it. It's great. It's not great. So I have to sit there or, or worry about what happened yesterday. It's gone. Yesterday's gone. So I have to bring myself back to present moment all the time and say, no, right now I'm actually having a conversation with Sabrina. That's what I'm doing. I have to be here, be focused, be present. Uh, but when I do have those emotional thoughts, how do I log that? Right. And then how does the community support me around it? And so it's all about community and and virtual connection. Uh, it was really helpful with COVID. Like uh, we run lots of meetings uh, that really jump started the virtual meetings because nobody could go meet in person anymore. And and it's it's a crazy world. Uh, I you know when I speak, uh, I'm very public with my story. I'm on the news a lot here in San Diego and elsewhere. I I realize that trying to get in so sober is extremely challenging. I mean, the relapse rate in the first year is 95%. Think about that. A hundred people tell you they want to get sober from say alcohol or, you know, an eating disorder, whatever it is. Right. And, and, and only five get past a year. And part of that is, is the lack of connection with people they can relate to. Right. It's not a one size fits all. Right. If there's a woman that had a lot of trauma 
uh, in her her past, which has driven her to this, this, and this. Guess what? There's another woman out there with the same background who's figured out a way to stay sober. How do I connect those two people? And so that's that's really what it's all about. You know, I, I make the joke: if I could ever get out of revenue cycle, then I want to spend my entire life, remainder of my life, working in this this world because. With our children now and immediate gratification, and you just mentioned rapid acceleration of technology, AI, all of these things are going to drive children to young adult to adults to disconnect from reality, disconnect from present moment. You see it already, right? I mean, people are just walking around like in, a, in on their phones, looking down. Everybody, right? You know, it's it it is absolutely going to become a pandemic that that we don't even know what the repercussions are and so if we can get started now in establishing community at that age that hey there's actually a better life out there if you could just be in it be in the life don't be in a virtual life don't be in a how many likes do i have on your video or how many views or how many right i mean right you know, let's let's get back to present moment. And so it, it's been fun. Uh, like I said, it's free for the world. I don't I don't charge anything for it. Uh, we have lots of training videos, workouts, meditation. We bring a lot of uh, news and content through there too for folks. It's got chat, it's got video chat, it's got uh, groups. So there's a lot of folks that set up private groups and there. Uh, it's great to kind of see it just organically grow. Perfect for everyone. Definitely. We know both from a, a patient side and colleagues, uh, burnout, uh, late stage is addiction, suicide ideation. So definitely, uh, understanding how even people who are surrounded by everybody, they can still feel alone because they experience then their processing and then the disconnect they have even in person. Nevertheless, the generational differences and the technology have driven us to be all socially connected, but actually less personally, humanly connected. Um, so check out the app. Um, and if you're an organization or a practice owner who really needed to understand your number better, and then how do you really create that better revenue cycle, check out Matt Evolve. And uh, we're so grateful, Matt, that you have joined us today. In today's conversation between myself and Matt, our main discussion revolved around healthcare management and the importance of cost understanding. Technology's role in healthcare the complexities of organizational structure and decision-making, and a personal journey through addiction recovery, which led to creating a supportive community platform. Here is a quick summary. Section one, healthcare management and cost issues. There are three major points. Number one, a observation was made about organizations being reluctant to adapt solutions even when it presents a clear return on investment. For example, a solution could cut a million dollar labor cost, but is perceived as too expensive, quote unquote. There's an underlining point about how the concept of cost and affordability might be somewhat skewed or not fully understood within some healthcare organizations. Number two, organizations sometimes hesitant to change their software or system despite potentially saving money in a long run, perhaps due to a fear of initial costs or resistance to organizational change. 
Number three, there is a described tension and emotional strain among physicians and healthcare providers due to increased costs and decreased reimbursement rates. The decrease in reimbursement for services, increased costs to deliver the same services, and considerations like high deductible plans were highlighted as challenges. The second section talked about technological adoption in healthcare. There are two major points. Number one, there is notable resistance and bureaucratic inertia in healthcare system. Consultants and those trying to innovate from within often encounter a kind of status or pushback after an initial period of aspirational goals and enthusiasm. Number two. The necessity of technology that measures human work effort, and by extension, the ability to recognize and reward top performance, top performers were emphasized. There was a recognition that technology adoption is crucial for sustainability and efficiency, and efficient function. In the current and future healthcare landscape. Now, the third section: personal story and creating a community platform. First is a personal journey that Matt gone through addiction recovery has resulted in creating what's called My Life Link, an app designed to facilitate connections among individuals in recovery. The platform allows them to find and interact with others who have similar experiences, trajectories, or backgrounds, serving as a community support tool. Number two, there was pronounced emphasis on moving away from technology-mediated interaction in personal life. Moving towards real, present, and tangible interpersonal relationships. This also serves as a critical of how technology can sometimes mediate our lives to an unhealthy extent. Third point is stress was laid on recognizing and understanding emotional and behavioral health, and how virtual communities can be leveraged. To foster supportive environments, particularly in extents like recovery from addiction, the fourth section leads us to leadership and team management in healthcare. First point being alignment between clinicians and administrative professionals in healthcare settings was pointed out as being crucial to decision making, operational efficacy. Number two. Strategies regarding internal motivation, relationship building, trust factors, and opening conversational doors with team members were considered essential. Engaging team members and respecting their thoughts, particularly those who are in "quote-unquote" the trenches, was underscored as vital. Number three, the leadership is tasked. With the dual rule of uplifting themselves and their teams, while ensuring that technological advances are leveraged both for staff and patient management. Final thoughts: A forward-looking perspective was adopted regarding how current generations can navigate 
and mitigate the future challenges posed by technological advancements, particularly in maintaining genuine human connections. Thank you for listening. Remember, the positive change we're seeking starts right here with me and you. If you are a fan of the show, or if you are just having struggles or success that you're either experienced in the past or are experiencing now in the healthcare industry, these matter to all of us. I want to hear from you. Visit sabrinarombach.com/connect and send me a direct message. Talk soon.